0: In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talked to DHH about building hay with Hotwire. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 151. I guess the reason that we're chatting today is because uh, you guys just put out Hotwire, which is like a set of tools for building sort of modern um, web applications. Uh, sort of the base camp way, which is of course always contrarian and in, in some way, shape, or form. And I know I had messaged you um, way back in the spring asking for the exclusive uh, podcast interview on this tech, and it finally dropped. I think, um, like maybe the the week of Christmas or the week before Christmas. Um, so I'm super excited to get a chance to chat about it now.
1: I am super excited to finally have it out there. We. I originally intended that we premiere all this at RailsConf in the spring. And Mm -hmm. then, I mean, all help broke loose this year. Um, Pandemic. So the conference didn't happen. And then we released, hey, our new email service and then a million other things. And then it wasn't really until coming out from under all of that to some extent that um, we were looking at like, oh, shit, we should uh, get this stuff ready. Um, Yeah. And a lot of it really was just hearing from people not happy with how Mm. they're developing their apps and constantly asking, hey, uh, you showed the stack you used for Hay, which was just boring tech, really, Um, plus a few things that weren't released. So what's the unreleased stuff? And uh, I think that was really just the, the motivating factor to get this finally out there, that I'd hate for someone to embark on a new, interesting app and either break their neck trying because they just couldn't get it to work. I mean, there's so many ideas and so many teams and initiatives that are really fragile in the beginning where you don't need that much pushback from either your domain or your technology before you realize, eh, I don't know. We'll do it some other time. I'll, I'll push it out later. And if hotwire is anything, it's hopefully a way to have less of that have more of an experience of, actually, I could do it. I could do it by myself. Um, I can get something out there. In very much the spirit of of how we originally created Basecamp back in 2003, where I, as the sole technical person, built the whole thing. And I was thinking, there were not a lot of environments where that was feasible. Within the amount of time, with the team we had, and so forth. And I've just... To some ways I've gotten frozen in that moment to the extent of wanting to believe that it is possible to build Basecamp again if we have to with the team we had. But that requires a constant fight with the complexification of all this stuff that we call web development and pushing back on it and trying to find new areas of conceptual compression because it's so easy to get lost in the path past on just nostalgia. Oh, everything was better in the old days. No, it, sure. wasn't. No, it wasn't. I mean, a lot of things were shit, and we <laughs> had to deal with so much crap when it came to web development, and so many things were harder. So it's not that the past was just uniformly better, it's that there, there, there was something there that we can get back to um, if we continue to do the work. If we continue to apply these conceptual compressions, where we take things that are hard but needlessly so, right? I mean, there's there are these intrinsic complexities of making good software for the web that you're not going to get around. But there's also just a whole lot of stuff that is needlessly complicated that isn't benefiting users to any measurable degree and isn't benefiting developers to any degree at all. Um, Yeah. So that was the motivation.
0: Yeah, cool. So I think maybe like a good place to start would be to sort of talk about sort of where it came from. Cause I think like we can dive into like turbo drive and turbo frames and turbo streams and all this stuff in detail. And I think we should, but I think it's important to understand like how you identified sort of the core abstractions in the first place. Like, it seems like you guys were able to tease out a sort of a limited set of sort of core things that you needed to be able to do and figure out how can we take like this thing that we kind of need to do on this page and this thing that we kind of need to do on this page and figure out a way to make them like the same thing. So we can come up with some sort of abstraction that solves that. And I know a, a lot of this stuff came out of developing, Hey, Hey, and some of this stuff sort of existed in some way, shape, or form before developing Hay, like TurboDrive comes from Turbo Links, which has been around forever. And I know there was some chatter in the past about like supporting partial page updates with Turbo Links and stuff that, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like it didn't ever quite see the light of day. And it kind of feels like all this new Hotwire stuff is the finished sort of version of some of what felt like was being explored back then.
1: Yes, and that is the hard part about arriving at these simplifications. There's nothing, well, there's not a lot in what we're doing with Hotwire today that you couldn't have done several years ago. The breakthroughs were all conceptual, as Mm -hmm. in trying to figure out, look at all the stuff we're doing. Is there a, a unifying way we could do it? If we start with the framework that actually kicked all this off, that's stimulus. We had built a bunch of JavaScript for um, Basecamp 3, these JavaScript sprinkles where we're leveling up our progressive application and just dotting a few things there. And we were constantly playing with different styles and we were constantly playing with different ways of doing it. We had looked at all the frameworks, didn't really find anything we liked. Could we stay just purely in JavaScript land, not really add anything special to it? And then we started adding things and it ended up that Basecamp 3 had about four different styles. And they all had something to it. There were nice things about all of them. But it wasn't really until we took a step back and looked at a body of work, like Basecamp 3, body of work, I don't know how many individual JavaScript files we had, but I mean, let's say 100 or something. Not even that much, right? Because we don't write that much JavaScript, never have. Uh, So 100 files sounds like a lot to us, and sounds like absolutely nothing to, to other people, perhaps. But anyway, we had a body of work we could look at, and that's when you can start spotting the patterns. When you zoom out and take two steps back and look at the whole picture and like, Oh, actually, this thing kind of looks like that thing. I understand why it's not. But if we just tweak that little bit, we can come up with something unifying that addresses all of this. And this is the interesting, invigorating, appealing work that I just love to do. I love to zoom back, look at a real application, not example code, not dreaming of extraction. No, no, real application. Then take a bit of it and like, do you know what? I have an idea here. Let's write it both ways. Let's leave it like it is. And I'll try my new way and I'll see if it's better. I'll do the, yeah. the before, after comparison and see if I actually improve things. Because as software framework builders, architects, whatever you want to call it, it is so easy to get lost in your own conceptual abstractions like, that are based just on your conceptions about how things should be. Not how they actually are. Not how you actually build things, right? You can make mm-hmm. almost any idea look compelling if you base it solely on the example code that you come up with to fit the implementation. I it just It never interested me. What I'm interested in is all the pressures of real apps, what they do to both twist and bend and destroy these conceptual notions you have of simplifications that turn out to not be simple at all once um, used in anger. And then also revealing things that uh, are insights you would never have had if you just sat in a room and thought about it. So stimulus was the first case where we took like, hey, We can abstract this stuff out. We have these targets. We have these values. We have this way of structuring things. And then we rewrote a good portion of the Basecamp 3 code in it, like took samples of all of it. And it, it clicked. Like it wasn't always like hugely better, but it was always at least as good. And in many cases, sure. it was a huge leap forward. So, okay, great. Now we have this stimulus part. We put that out, I don't know, two years ago, something like that. But the problem with stimulus, as in much the same ways as earlier, the problem with turpelings was that it wasn't a complete answer. Like we were saying like, hey, this is stuff you should use. And then for the things that don't fit, wavy wavy hands, hands, right? Sure. Like, as in, I'm not giving you all the things we're actually doing. Um, so... We had to, to keep pushing in that, and that meant keep mining the applications we had already built for new abstractions, for new patterns, and for new insights. And that's, that's the sort of um, retroactive approach or extractive approach to framework building that I've always followed. Rails is the yeah. same way. Rails wasn't the thing I sat down, oh, I, I need all these things, let me build them up front, and then I'll use them to create an uh, application. No, 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 the other way around. First, you build the application. Preferably, you even build two, and then you start hunting for patterns, extracting the things out that are generic. So, we did the same thing with uh, um, with Hotwire, or, or rather, we were in the pursuit, and we've been in the pursuit for quite a while. Stimulus was the first sort of victory milestone, but then we also knew that we had all these other things. Um, yeah. So,
0: just to interrupt you for a sec, story before we get too far, I'm curious. Like, what are some examples of things that Stimulus just didn't quite feel like it was solving, you know, once shared publicly, at least anyways, you know?
1: It wasn't solving the most important part. Stimulus was the sprinkles, and that's great. And sometimes you need the sprinkles, you need the little bit of logic that does something special and unique for this little button. And that's great. And Stimulus is wonderful for that, and I I love it. But the core of all our applications were server-side rendering. That's really the... The key um, value here: that rendering should happen once from one set of templates. And if I can help it, I don't want to write those templates in JavaScript. I don't want to write any of the code actually in JavaScript. Yeah, I want so, to. Use so my when you have to like, toggle
0: a classless thing in Stimulus or something, that f- that almost feels like throwing in the towel in some way. You know, like it's it's a necessary thing to do once in a while, but it's like, God, I wish I could have just swapped that class on the server somehow.
1: Well, I'd say actually the classes is perhaps a case where sometimes stimulus is okay. If all you're doing sure, is swapping sure. a class on and off, fine. If you are, for example, the example I used in the demo was building a chat application. If you have um, a template for rendering a new line in chat, now that's a thing I don't want to do twice. A single line in chat, you think like, "Eh, how much is there actually in it? There's perhaps not that much in it. But you go further and you think of in in Basecamp or in Hey, rendering a whole message or a whole comment or something else. Those are actually templates that have both domain logic in them and they have a substantial amount of, of HTML around them. Yeah. That stuff, I don't want to replicate that. I don't want to replicate particularly. It's not even so much just about the HTML text. The HTML text, okay, if you had to do them twice, it wouldn't be great. It wouldn't be the end of the world. It's this idea that on the server, you have access not just to that template, you have access to your entire domain model. It means you don't have to serialize your domain model, sending it across the wire as a piece of data, as JSON which you then have to instantiate on the client side with a client model now of what is a person, what are they allowed to do, all these things about permissions or, or other things. And then, of course, also on the server, you have access to your data model, right? Like As in, not yeah. just your domain model, that's the, the code, your Ruby code, but also your data model, as in your SQL database. And it's quick to query. There's not a HTTP yeah. request around the whole thing. You can do a 100 SQL queries, and it might take you only or less than 100 milliseconds. You might do 100 SQL queries in, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 milliseconds, Mm -hmm. sometimes even less. You could never do that on the client side, right? This is actually why I thought it was so interesting to see the justification for React server components, um, which, as fortune would have it, it premiered just a day before we announced (laughs) um, Hotwire. And it was basically um, a recommendation, for why server-side rendering is good yeah all the cases where that's great
0: they're in pursuit of the same goal for sure i think which is like a holistic development experience like i don't want to be like splitting things up and like re-implementing things on the front end and the back end how can we figure out a way to just kind of have a unified theory of application development right which the Rails way is very much coming from the server. And then what they're trying to do is, is, I guess, starting from the UI and working the way back to the server. But it's interesting that you know, <laughs> it seems like uh, trying to solve the same problem, for sure.
1: Which is what we're all trying to do, right? Yeah. We're all trying to make building web applications... Well, actually, I, I was going to say, we're all trying to make building web applications easier. I don't actually believe that's true. I believe what's true is that everyone <laughs> is trying to make... Good web applications. Sure. And then how they arrive at that definition of good, certainly many paths to get there, and what they choose to prioritize along that path, whether development, uh, joy, or small team sizes, or whatever is important, that varies a fair amount, I'd say. but I mean, it is still interesting that there is this informing going back and forth, right? Um, which is good. That's the pendulum swinging back and forth. And that's some of the, one of these other themes I talked about when we launched was for a while, let's say the past, I don't know, seven, eight, maybe even 10 years, there was a huge boom and enthusiasm around doing everything in JavaScript and Understandably so. JavaScript got a whole lot better. We we got transpilers, we got Babel, we were not bound by lagging browser implementations, ES6 was a much better language. Um, there were all these good ideas, right? And then people mm-hmm. pushed them to the max, which is what usually happens with good ideas. You take a, an idea and you think, like, I wonder how far this will go. And in my opinion, we took it way, 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 way too far. <laughs> but taking it all the way there was perhaps... or or, or I'd say perhaps even definitely a necessary part of learning where the limits are, learning when it makes sense and and all these things. And now we're coming back to realizing, oh, yeah, I guess we actually took it way too far in some cases. And React, with their server-side rendering um, appeals, is a... Example of that, right? Example of, real- oh, actually, if you do everything on the client, there's all these c- flaws and compromises, and we'd actually like to not have some of those. Can can we take it back? And in the meanwhile, um, we were trying on the other end with server-side rendering to go, first of all, I think JavaScript is a fine language. It's not a horrible language. It's not a great language for me, right? My personal mm-hmm. truth there, Ruby, best, programming language ever made for me when I'm trying to write um, web applications no interest whatsoever in giving that up right sure so yeah. whatever drawbacks there may be to allowing me to use my favorite programming language in the entire world to create the applications that I do um, I'm gonna I'm gonna look into that I'm gonna figure it out I'm gonna find a way to make it work not just for Ruby either right that's the other big part of this appeal is that server-side rendering sets the programmer free to choose the programming language that they hold dear, right? Instead of this idea that like, oh, we should all be writing JavaScript for everything. No. (laughs) I guarantee you, if if you ask a thousand programmers, what's your favorite programming language? You're not going to get a thousand people telling you, it's JavaScript. I love it too end of the world, right? Like I keep hearing from people who write Python or mm-hmm. Clojure or Erlang or whatever, right? Like that, That's their favorite programming language. And that's so wonderful. That diversity that the web allows us to have because on the web, no one knows if your server is a Commodore 64 yeah. or <laughs> Vic20 or running Ruby or running Erlang or running C or running anything else. It's one of the greatest gifts to programmers this world has ever seen usually, as we've seen with mobile web development, usually there's a dominant platform, right? And unless you build your shit in that, uh, you're at best a a second-class citizen or a third or fourth or fifth-class citizen. And it's just not worth it. And people end up with these monocultures where, hey, you want to make an iOS app? Most people are going to write in Swift or Objective-C and they're going to use Apple stuff. If you want to write a web app, you can use anything. I mean, you can literally use... Any program language that's ever been invented in the history of time to create your web application that's amazing. Amazing. And people don't recognize just what a unique gift that is. And ergo, they don't work all that hard to preserve it. And that's one of the things we found, that unless you exercise those freedoms, they atrophy, they disappear. And some of that has happened in web development at large, I'd say, that they're in certain circles. Is this assumption that, well, of course we're going to use JavaScript and it's going to be isomorphic and like that's the only answer? And yeah, like, yeah. what? Fuck. No, absolutely not. Yeah, that's like giving up
0: like what you view as sort of like a fundamental freedom that's given to you by the web.
1: Yes. And perhaps in many ways for the enjoyment of the individual programmer, one of the absolute most important. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me.
0: So I guess like digging into kind of the origin story of some of this stuff, we were talking about um, how much you enjoy sort of trying to tease out these abstractions from things and doing it from a real application. I'd be curious to know what that looked like when you were building Hay, like did did all of these ideas, like especially the brand new ones like Turbo Frames and Turbo Streams come out of Patterns that you discovered in Hay, where you were looking at things and thinking, "Okay, we've implemented these in three different ways. How can we figure out how to unify it?" Or did some of this stuff come out of development at Basecamp and was being like tried out in Hay? Um, what what like specific things did you see in Hay, or were you building where you started to identify like some of these common things that you needed to do that you thought you'd be able to come up with a way to wrap in some sort of
1: um, system? Yeah, it's really interesting because both the origin story for frames and for streams actually have challenges behind them that you wouldn't think really were related to these generic concepts. If well, we start that's with why frames, we're here Exactly. <laughs> if you start with frames, it came up because at Basecamp we don't just make web apps. We make web okay. apps that also have native apps with them, right? Like um uh, good luck trying to get a mainstream success like Basecamp or Hey off the ground if you don't have a presence in the app stores, right? If you're not mm-hmm. on mobile phones, it's going to be a niche thing for our kinds of applications, right? So we've been building these hybrid mobile applications for many years now. I think the first one goes all the, back, all the way back to 2012, I think, was the first one we built for Basecamp 2. And then we built a much better one for Basecamp 3. And then when we were building Hay, we were like, we got to take it up even further because now the competition is not just like other project software or project management software, which is sort of not necessarily the highest bar in the world. Now the bar is email software, which is an incredibly high bar because the fidelity you're facing up against with Mail App or Gmail or whatever else is is very hard. It's consumer grade, right? Um, So we had to come up with ways of building that in a really nice way. Yet at the same time, we weren't, about to hire 20 people to build native web applications or native um, mobile applications, right? We're not going to build these huge teams. We have tiny teams building this stuff. Yeah. We have on iOS, we have three people one designer, two programmers, Android, same thing. And they're not just responsible for building the Hey apps. They're also responsible for continuing to build the Basecamp app. There's a lot of stuff on the plate. They're yeah. not going to re implement, as in with Basecamp, I think we have maybe. 300 screens, if you counted Mm. each individual presentation of a screen or setting or whatever, right? If you were to do all of it on mobile and have full coverage, you were going to build 300 native screens. I mean, the kind of teams you need to build those kinds of native apps, they're enormous. Mm -hmm. Um, For good reason. It's just, it's a different different type of clay. It's a lot harder to work with. Um, So when we came to Hay, we encountered this Idea that there were certain screens or certain interactions where we wanted them to appear in like uh, overlays or some other native wrapping, um, modal screens, right? And we were thinking, how can we get these parts that's part of a bigger page where we don't want all the Chrome, right? Like we don't want like a header, we don't want navigation, we don't want all these other things we're using on the yep. web. How can we get those to appear inside this native modal? modal? And that's when the idea of frames came up. Hey, if we could just paint a rectangle around the stuff that should appear in this model, that, that would kind of do it. We would get to reuse the same page. We wouldn't have to get build two sets of pages. Boom. So that was where, where the start was. It, was. it was all driven in regards to, to frames from native concerns. How can we reuse more of it? And then we realized, oh shit, that actually also works great for the web at large. There are all these so, situations where you want um, essentially what the web would call a modal screen where you do an inline flip, right? You have yeah, a yeah. display of something, a line in a, in a list of things, and you want to flip it into an edit state. And that edit state, that could also just be a frame. It's kind of the same as the native overlay or the native modal. So once we came to that realization, we just got really excited. That was the core idea. Take one presentation, show it another thing. Then the other thing I got, which was almost like a side effect that I got almost equally excited about, and at times even more excited about, was the lazy load capabilities. So this idea that TurboFrames identifies a part of your page that could come from another page, and that page could be loaded after the initial page. Right. This Mm -hmm. is a technique people have been using forever. There's nothing fundamentally new here, right? Like lots of people are are lazy loading things in, but it was happening in a very manual way. We were doing it too. We had a stimulus controller called, I think, lazy content or something else like that. They were kind of doing some similar things, but we didn't have all the wrappings about how you can reuse the same original page in all these different contexts So that we don't have to rebuild it for, for native. We don't have to rebuild it for inline. We don't have to rebuild it for lazy loading. It's all getting unified under this one concept that actually was not even our concept, so to speak. Like the idea of frames also harks all the way back to, to the beginning of HTML. You had frames yeah. at the original. Yeah. And then they had all sorts of compromises. Days. And then you had iframes that were better in some ways, but still very isolated sort of sandbox concepts. And they just meant that for most applications, that, that wasn't terribly usable. Right? We couldn't use it. It wasn't the same DOM. It had all sorts of issues. Sure. But the core yeah. idea of taking parts of your page and rendering them as separate things was super strong. And it became even stronger once you started realizing the cash benefits that this brings you. If you take a complicated page that has five different segments on it, right, and you want to cache that page, that ca- page has to now depend on five different keys. If any one of the segments expire, because some new content is posted, the whole page yep. has expired, right? Mm-hmm. Which means you churn your caches very, very quickly. With TurboFrames, you can put everything on its own timeline. You can take the that segment of the page that changes once a week or once a month and the cash will last for literally a whole month. Now, you have to pay for one additional HTTP request, right? But that was the other yeah. unlocking um technology here, HTTP2. HTTP2 is the whole thing that makes this feasible, viable, desirable because you're no longer contending with having to open multiple connections, having to carry HSL handshakes for each of them. You have one multiplexing connection. Which is just awesome. The, the The penalty now for loading additional content over that one pipe is very low. It's basically mm-hmm. sort of the return ping, right? Yeah. So right. you're you're paying whatever your your ping is to the server and back, and then otherwise you're not adding anything else, uh, extra to it. And in fact, the whole server load aspect goes way down because your caches last way longer. It's easier to compose the pages it feels like it's of the web too, that we're using web fundamentals and we're just stitching them together in a slightly different way that's unlocking all these advantages at once. And that was just what often happens with these things. You come up with an idea to solve a very specific problem, right? Oh, we need to have this page appear in a web or in a native model. And then you go like, oh, wait a minute, that could also be used for X, Y, Z, and D. Right? Like it's almost like the yeah. off label use of this one drug we just came up with to fix this <laughs> one particular thing ended up curing just a, a litany of ills. And that was just super exciting.
0: Yeah. It that it is definitely a really there's a lot of really interesting details in how it works, which I guess I'm interested to dig into. So when you first kind of discovered this idea, in my head, I'm thinking that. Like there's a very MVP sort of version of this, which is like, okay, well, we're on mobile. We need to get this response from the server. We only want to extract a chunk of it and use that chunk. It feels like where that would start if I was building it anyways, is like, okay, well, let's just throw some wrapper around the chunk of the page. You want to rip out, stick some sort of ID on it or something that lets us grab it up, use, you know, parse the DOM, grab out that chunk, and then, replace it manually on the client you know what i mean like without any sort of framework for for doing this sort of replacement but it seems like now what you're offering with turbo frames has evolved greatly with all these conventions around having like a matching id on the requesting page versus the response and all that stuff um i'm curious like what is the evolution that got you from sort of that very beginning of okay well we need to sort of identify a chunk of the page and swap it out to coming up with these conventions for like matching the ids and like to me the matching ids thing doesn't even seem like intuitively like that that's going to work you know what i mean but obviously it does otherwise you wouldn't have have landed on it so i i'm just curious like how you got there it's such
1: a fascinating process because if you think of something like this and you think like, oh, someone sits down and they come up with this grand unifying vision for how things should be, right? Um, I I, I can't recognize that. Like I've I've never encountered that in any of the stuff I've ever done. It's always you hit a problem, you want to solve that problem and then you go like, oh, I solved it. And then you go, hey, wait a minute. This thread is loose. Let's pull it. And you pull it and you go like, oh, shit. You could use that over here and it would totally do that, right? <laughs> you, 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 you do this zoom out again and you look at your whole application and you start seeing patterns you never noticed before. And you notice yeah. these patterns because now you have this tiny little corner of the solution, but it illuminates the whole room. And all of a sudden you can see these things that are out of place. They could go in place if you put them in these boxes you just came up with that weren't intended for that at all, right? And that's just such a, exhilarating moment when you realize that this thing has legs and I don't even know where it's going to go, right? This whole uh, side effects of the lazy loaded stuff that led to all these cache improvements and so forth was a complete aside, right? It was sort of like, oh, I guess we have this frame already. Could we use it to replace this content loader we already have in Stimulus? Um, and like, let's try it. And then you go, like, oh shit. Just like GIF blown head galaxy emoji, right? This just can work in so many parts. And then you get that part in, and you just start realizing, you start ripping out code, right? One of the most satisfying parts of these conceptual compressions is the git divs that go like, plus five green lines, minus 274 red lines. right? And you just see it, you just see it, where you just go like, oh, I'm flushing out so much code here, because there's now some conventions I've discovered that allow these whole classes of problems to just evaporate disappear that's pretty awesome
0: so i think like one of the things i guess i'm curious about with the turbo frame stuff is like the way that i understand it for anyone who hasn't read the docs or watched the video or anything um you have these chunks on the page that kind of have a, a frame wrapper around them with some sort of identifier and you can click a link inside of it or you can submit a form inside of it anything that would normally like trigger fetching a new page and um The response comes back and TurboFrame is going to extract the chunk from that that matches the ID of sort of the nearest TurboFrame parent on the requesting page and swap those out with each other. Um, Does that ever feel like limiting? Does it ever feel like you want to click a button somewhere and have like a totally unrelated chunk of the page change that doesn't have, you know, like a yes, that isn't, you know, And, and how do you solve that sort of problem?
1: That, that, that You just gave us the origin story of Turbo Streams. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because first, we came up with TurboFrames, uh, turbo and we were like, this is amazing. This does all these things, right? And then we encountered exactly that problem that you described, that there are some instances where everything is neatly within one rectangle. Yeah. Right? There are cases where you want side effects other places on the page. If you take, hey, our email client, one good example of that is, we have this thing called the screener where no first-time sender lands directly in your inbox. You get to decide whether you want to have them there or not, right? When you click yes or no on a pending um, first-time sender, there's a little button on the main inbox screen that has a count, right? Where it says like, you have nine, you have eight. And you could do almost everything else within the screener just as frames, but you can't do that. You can't do the, I got to update that button that's actually on a separate page and I'm keeping them in sync in part because you might have multiple browser windows open or whatever, whatever, right? I can't get those side effects to happen. How do we do that? And that's the origin of TurboStreams. And TurboStreams is interesting, both because it's inspired by the limitations of frames where frames can get you 60, 70, in some cases, even 80% of the way where like just... All of it just disappears, right? Like it's almost a, you're, you're programming like it's 2005 and the web is just response or request response. The whole thing gets replaced. Nothing is, is different on your implementation side, which is awesome, which means it's very simple. Um, and that's great when that's all you need, right? Then you just stop there. You've used frames. Boom. You're done. Now, if you need that, those side effects, um, we needed something for that. We needed a sort of a, an escape valve for that. And at the same time, we had a very long time we've had this escape valve. In Rails, we've called it RJS, Ruby JavaScript. We've called yep. it SJR, Server-Side Render JavaScript Responses, I think are the two things. These techniques go all the way back to, I think, prototype in 2005, right? This is how we implement the original campfire back in the day. Yeah. Um and this but, is the thing where it like sends back like a
0: script tag in a sense that just gets appended to the page that evaluates or something like that. Yeah, So sort of exactly, like created exactly. on the
1: fly script. Yeah, element. it sends back a, a chunk of JavaScript that just gets evaled as soon as it's received. Gotcha. And that no longer works because of uh content what is it, CSP content yeah, security sure. protocol mm-hmm. or, or something like that. It's a security protocol. Nightmare, to be honest. (laughs) This idea that you can just eval any piece of JavaScript you receive over the wire, right? Sure. Not exactly great for security. Um, So that was already, that had already become a bit of a dead end. If you wanted to use CSP, you couldn't use um, these techniques. But we still wanted the same thing. We wanted a response that could mutate anything on the page um, in response to a server side rendering. But we couldn't use JavaScript for it anymore. So we had these two things pushing on us at the same time a frames doesn't cover 100 percent. it covers about 80 um maybe in some cases only 50 percent. whatever the percentages is that's all that's the cheapest level up you'll get right like it requires the least amount of work on your part so you take as much of it as you can but this is you'd be a fool or i don't know if a fool you you'd you'd reach your limitations where you have to start waving your hands again about like, oh, what do you do about the last bits, right? So we have that pressure. And then we have the other pressure, which is that we can't use SARs anymore. We can't just return JavaScript that gets evaled anymore. We have to return something else that mutates the page. So we have those two things pushing others, right? And that's where we really actually set out to to find a solution that kind of could fit in with under that. And we started thinking about, what is the main benefit you get out of SJRs or RJS? Is yeah. it that you can add a class to some DOM element somewhere as a reaction? No, you could do that quite easily with stimulus as we just talked about. That's very easy to add, right? No duplication, no added cost. Um, same thing with playing an animation or whatever. Why are we using these server-side renderings? Because we want to reuse the partial templates. Yeah. That's the whole thing. The whole thing is that you want to not duplicate and replicate these partials on the client side as well. So you want to render them on the server, then you wrap them in this JavaScript, or that's what we used to do with these previous techniques, and then you would insert them somewhere in the DOM and you'd perhaps do something with them after that, right? We're like, hey, what if you just took that kernel? What if we could just focus on returning the server-side rendered partial templates and then yep. find a way to get them into the DOM? Boom. Now now we're close, Right. Now you're close in the, like, those server-side render templates, they're just HTML. They don't have yeah. any CSP issues. Yep. Um,
0: as long as you have some constrained set of actions that you can stick into an attribute or something that maps to some, like, existing exactly. sort of safe-listed code on the client, then you can sort of make that yes. work.
1: Yes, yes. And that's what Turbo Streams is. It is essentially CRUD for modifying your DOM with server-side render templates. You get to append or insert, you get to replace, you get to update, and you get to delete. And the other aspect here, which was a historic influence, was that our RJS and SJR templates, when you could do whatever you want in those responses, when you can just call whatever JavaScript you want in those responses, those yep. responses had a tendency to balloon, right? Sure. Yeah. Added more and more and more and stuff on, and then we had some cases, I think the worst one we had, maybe that was like 30 lines of code, and you're like, this is doing a ton of shit. Why is it happening all in this thing? Well, it was because it was the most convenient place to put it. Yeah. So this invokes one of the grand revelations I've had in web development, which was the adoption of REST. The idea of treating everything as a constrained set of operations that you can map everything within, and that those constraints are good.
0: Yeah.
1: That a straight jacket like REST, where you get your get and your post and your put and your um, and your delete, is liberating. That it allows you to do everything you want, but it encourages you not to go too far. Before we had REST in Rails, many applications would end up with these gargantuous controllers. Even at Basecamp, I remember a controller in the original version of Basecamp that had, I think, like 22 actions. Yeah. You just go like, I can see how we got there. I can see how the easiest course of action was just to add another action. And before you know it, you had this super bloated controller class that did all sorts of things, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you had to do that as a rest, you'd go like, oh, look at all these prefixes. That means that's its own controller, and that's its own controller. And now we've yep, broken yep. down the 22 actions into six different controllers, and they're much better scope. They're far more cohesive and all this other stuff, right? So the thinking was, what if this was also true here? What if restricting the amount of updates we could have to just these CRUD actions was actually what we want it, need it, and was plenty for most of the time. And then again, you go like, well, but what about that one case, right? What about the one case where you just want to flip a class? You don't want to re-render a whole template just to do that. Hey, we already have stimulus. True. Stimulus is already this escape valve, these sprinkles yeah, yeah, yeah. that you throw over your HTML and your code when you need that one thing that doesn't fit. So the combination between those two things, TurboStream's providing you CRUD, just with HTML templates, where it needs to go, where it needs to update, and whatever. And then the escape valve of stimulus, you could just add that to any um, template. You'd still be CSP compliant. It allows you to do everything. And you can then see kind of the escalation, right? So Hotwire starts at baseline. The baseline is TurboDrive. Every single link, every single form is now happening as a fetch, System, we don't have to blow away the instance of the app. It allows you to keep continuous connections to things like WebSockets without disconnecting and reconnecting. It allows you to not uh, uh, reinterpret things on the page. It allows you to keep sort of the whole thing stable, right? That's the baseline. You get that for for free. I mean, as soon as you run Turbo, don't have to do anything for it. Then the first step is okay, we need a little more. Let's do frames. Okay, we need a little more. Let's do streams okay, we need a little more. Let's do stimulus. And having that full progression that gets you all the way from like, yeah, do you know what? This p- page just needs to be normal. It doesn't need to do anything. It can just rely on drive. I don't have to do anything custom to all the way to like, I can do basically all the things I ever want in terms of manipulating the DOM, in terms of triggering behavior and so on. That is the magic of this. That you yeah. only pay for... You only pay the relatively high price of building a super sophisticated thing when you're doing a super sophisticated thing. <laughs> you yeah, don't pay yeah. the price when you're just doing a page, right? Yeah. And I think that this is part of the chase we've been on the whole time. It's not to say that these uh, advances we've had on the client with what JavaScript can do are bad, right? Like we build an entire rich text editor tricks-editor.org, which is a highly, I don't want to say, I don't know, complicated. Actually, complicated is probably a a correct word. If I just looked at the source now, I wouldn't um, be able to tell you which way it went because they re-implemented a damn text editor. Text editors aren't like, That simple, right? Like that was actually software,
0: right? It's software.
1: It's full on software in the traditional gang of uh, gang of four patterns book, where they used a bunch of examples from building (laughs) word processors, right? And I always it kind of glazed over. Oh, you gotta just—it's a complicated domain, right? It requires a complicated solution. Someone should build that, and I'm (laughs) endlessly happy that Sam and Javon did, right? Because I've never really looked all that deeply at the code, and I don't need to. Um, Sure. It just works. It's a thing to drop in. And aren't we better off that JavaScript now allows us to do stuff like that? It's amazing. It's wonderful. But you know what? I don't want to build my apps like that. If if building <laughs> every app requires that level of engagement, it doesn't, right? But there, there are whiffs of it. Then that sucks. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. I want the basic building blocks of our web applications to be basic. And then hopefully when we get to the, the rocket science level, someone like Sam and Javan have gone off in the, in the woods for about a year, which was how long it took to build tricks, um, yeah. and built it for us. And we could drop it in and we could be happy. But then the rest of the time, we can go and be blissfully unaware of just how the machine actually works. Um, and that, that's what we're kind of chasing here, to have that escalating path where you start super duper stupid simple. And then you just you pay as you go for the complexity that you use and no more. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
0: Um, with the TurboStream stuff specifically, I'd be curious to dig into like sort of what it does and how it works a little bit more because I think based on the name, it's it sounds like it's like a WebSocket, WebSocket, WebSocket thing. But when you look at the examples and even based on some of the stuff we've already talked about, it sounds like it's also useful in Sort of regular request-response cycle situations. Um, What is? Are you able to sort of explain like your mental model for that in a way that can like make it click for other people?
1: (laughs) Yes, and it's funny because the Turbo Streams name was one we wrestled with for a long time. For a long time, it was not called Turbo Streams; it was called Page Updater. (laughs) <laughs> okay, <laughs> which is a much more sort of generic, plain term, sure. right? Um, but it's also it's too plain, and it doesn't suggest where its usage is most powerful. And that's what we wanted to direct streams onto, that your streaming changes onto the page. Those streams can come from form submissions, and in several cases in our apps they do, but where you truly, in my opinion, unlock this amazing power that the demo showed, that you can yeah. build a real chat app that works with two windows and you're streaming things back and forth and so on, is when you use sockets. So it's the same core technique, how to uh, mutate the DOM by describing these new chunks of HTML, where you want them to go, what to replace, append or prepend, or if you even want to delete some, right? It's the same vocabulary. And you can apply that In speech over the form responses, which is just, as you say, the regular request response cycle. You literally return a series of TurboStream actions in response to your Turbo or to to the form submission. Or, and this is where the unlocking superpower that ultimately um, gave us the direction of where to go with the name is you can stream that same stuff over WebSocket, and then everyone gets those mutations. Or you can do both that there are cases where you both respond in in response to a a form submission because that's the way to make your app even more resilient, such that if there's a WebSocket uh, disconnection or or you're working environments where you can't use WebSockets, um, you can still stream these changes onto the pages. But then when you do work in environments where you have the WebSocket available and you feel good about relying on it, um, it can level up such that the page gets... Animated, it gets alive with changes you did not make, which is one of those things for multi user applications is super powerful, right? Or not even multi user uh, applications, but when someone else is causing the event that's triggering an update on your page. The example we use in the docs is, of course, taking straight up, hey, you get a new email. Sure. How should that appear on the page, right? It appears on the page because we have a WebSocket connection that's open and we can stream. Um, these TurboStream actions onto it. Because if we didn't have that, you would have to wait until you reloaded the page. And then this is where it all comes back to, why are we doing all this shit? Server-side rendered templates. It is all going back to that, right? The initial page that you render just with your TurboDrive uh, request, boom, rendered by server-side templates, the same ones right the the frame rendered by the same server-side templates the turbo stream in response to a, a a form request response cycle boom rendered by the same templates the turbo stream action streamed over websocket again rendered by the same turbo uh, or the same template partials right it is just yeah. such an incredible amount of reuse that allows a single presentation of a comment or a chat message or a chat room or so on, to be used in so many different ways. Um, that, that almost feels like cheating. I mean, we used to do more stuff on the client with, um, client side templates. We had this thing called JST. Which was just I mean yet another uh, client side template language, and I think in backpack we used it to build a calendar, which may still actually be one of those areas where perhaps you're justified in using some client side stuff okay. um, but for the vast majority of the time it just it was needed, and we don 't use any of it in hey, hey does not have a single client side template, which is in part how we ended up with hmm. what is it forty k of compressed JavaScript I totally, remember when yeah. when when we showed up, hey for the first time someone. Called it out and like, where's the rest? <laughs> and they were like, <laughs> sure that we were hiding some JavaScript somewhere that we had stuffed it under the, the yeah. carpet somewhere. And they were like, no, no, that's it. We're like, what? What do you mean that's it? Um, because it's all coming from the server. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Um, what are some places, I guess, like in Hay even that you're using this technology that people wouldn't maybe expect? Like, are there places that you think People would assume we're being done with stimulus that are actually being done with some of the TurboStream stuff. Like, for example, if I click my little avatar in the top right corner of my, of hey, is that a stimulus controller that's like popping up in like a little drop down? Or is that like a TurboStream thing that's coming down and
1: appending a piece of DOM to the page? It's a TurboFrame. <laughs> oh. It's a revealed TurboFrame. So it uses the summary detail thing that html yep. gives us and then it loads in lazy loading in the um the turbo frame when it appears which allows us to um not load it up front but then cache it once it's loaded so you'll see that both on the hey menu which is the middle menu in hey and the yeah. right side avatar menu it's the same thing you'll see there's like a tiny delay when you first click it, you may not notice it if, if you're in the US because it's so fast. But I'm sure. sitting here in Denmark, so I can notice that there's just this tiny delay when you click it the first time, and then on any the subsequent clicks, we're already we're loading the frame we already have. Yeah. So that's using turbo frames and doesn't need any um, real stimulus work for that to uh, to work. Do
0: you have to do anything to make the the lazy loading happen there, or is that just automatic? Like the browser just doesn't render that DOM until you actually open it, and then Turbo picks it up. And that's a good question. I actually forgot how we
1: did that. Uh, I think I might actually have written that, but but I don't even remember how um, we got that set up because we did the same thing. We started with the hay menu, and that's where mm-hmm. we wanted to do it. And part of the reason why this is such a good use case for it is that um, this goes straight back to that discussion we had about segments, right? That you want to get different parts of your page that runs on a different caching schedule split out from the rest. If you take the main inbox page where all your new email comes in, that cache churns all the time. Right, sure. Because you get new emails, I don't know. If you're like me, you get new emails maybe 20 times, 30 times a day. This is obviously after the screener before that. I used to get sure. couple, 300 <laughs> emails a day or whatever. But I get 20 actual emails or 30 or 50 or whatever that I have to do something about. And yeah. they will all churn the cash. But if you look at that, hey, menu, what's in it? It's a list of all your labels. It's if you have the... um work edition, it's a list of all your collections and your extensions, and then it's a list of other stuff. And those things, like, how often do you add a new label? Not, yeah, not very, very often. often. I, I'm actually looking at my list right Literally now. Literally
0: never. I've never created a label in
1: Hay, So <laughs> <laughs> I have, like, I don't know, 12 labels or something. It's yeah. probably been months since I last updated, which means that the cache for that menu can be very slow. Why would yeah. I want to re-render that entire menu just because a new email comes in? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, Right. And normally, you just you don't get much of a choice because you kind of have to do that. Um, now, you can still cache things on the server and so on and so forth. But um, it's the same thing with the trays, which was one of the examples I used in, in the video down below, right? The trays are also just frames. There are, unlike the menus, they're ego-loaded because you want to show those trays as soon as someone shows them. But you'll also notice there that there is like a tiny little delay when you load the inbox. It'll load in the... The tray's down at the bottom, but they're being loaded from their own um, HTML responses. they have yeah. their own caching cycle, and they also don't change nearly as often as the main inbox. so splitting these things out when, there you can see like now we're talking about there's two different frames there's two different uh, menus, the hey menu and the other menu, right and then there's the main inbox page. Now you have five segments, five segments, they all get to live in their own caching schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, And they all get to be simpler implemented, right? The main inbox page is just focused on the inbox. It doesn't have all the logic for rendering um, the pull down menu for that. So you can. It's one of the benefits, even though I've struggled, wrestled, opposed this whole idea of competence or competence for a long time. I was about about
0: to say this kind of feels like a different. I I don't always. I don't
1: always think that they make things simpler. I understand sometimes when you have. A lot of different teams, they can be better at creating these boundaries. But I also think that the boundaries often have distinct costs to them. Mm-hmm. And this is one way of getting essentially a componentized um, UI in a way that pays less for those boundaries. Yeah. That's
0: pretty interesting. Like you can just basically drop a turbo frame into your view and Because it's just tied to a a URL, which inherently has its own controller and its own logic and all this stuff, you've you've basically created like an ad hoc component from a URL, essentially.
1: Yes, yes. And that's also what makes them so easy to make, that the component that supplies this is just a normal HTML page. And in many cases, those HTML pages pages make sense on their own, right? This was the insight from... Dealing with all this native logic, that there are times where you just want to display the same content, the same thing on a different page. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. There's something neat about being able to like command click a link in like a Hotwire app and uh, have it open in a new page and work fine. But if you just regular click it, it just kind of like does an in place replacement and kind of works in the context of the page you're already on.
1: Yes, it's a very natural. Way of developing natural, I say, of course. For me, and people <laughs> think like me. There are totally, and it's completely legit people who think differently and uh, who, for for them, react is is the second coming, and it's wonderful. That's great. I, um, I'm so happy when someone yeah. in technology finds a paradigm that just suits their brain perfectly and they just go like this is amazing you see the same thing with object orientation versus functional programming sure, right yeah. where people just go like oh functional program is so much simpler and you go like yeah it is for you and sure. for your mental model and for how it fits your brain and this is why we desperately need that diversity right we desperately need for all these different paradigms of development to be able to be expressed on the web because if we don't and we force everything into this monoculture of what's happening on native development we're going to get a bunch of people who did not end up with the mental model that best suits them and that's just yeah tragic
0: yeah for sure so i think maybe like um one last thing to to go into. I mean I mean maybe we have a couple more things spend so much time you got here. But one thing I am curious about is talking about an example or two of just like situations that come up in applications and talking through how you would approach building those features with a Hotwire. Yep. So like one that comes to mind for me is like Twitter. You click the tweet button on the left and it like pops open a modal. What is like the Hotwire way to have a button open a modal? Like what part of the what's one of the tools kind of would you reach for if you were going to do something like that?
1: I would definitely reach for frames as the main tool it it's very similar to to those menus we just talked about, and it's actually very similar to the corner case that gave rise to frames in the first place. this idea that you have some HTML for creating a new um a new tweet yeah, and first of all, it doesn't need to be there all the time. it can be just lazy loaded when you need it, and when you do need it, it is sort of an encapsulated component that you can just display via the via the frame and then you could have doesn't that
0: frame need to be like on a different part of the dom like if the tweet button is in the sidebar but like the modal has to be added to the end of the body or whatever so that it like overlaps everything properly
1: wherever it gets added um you could just have a div that's not showing it or, or, or whatever like you you trigger it in such a way that when it reveals is is when we do the load and then you keep it um you keep it going
0: so so just to make sure I understand right like I thought with the frame stuff if the tweet button is in a frame then the response no no no, back, no 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 of- no
1: the 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 tweet button wouldn't be in the frame I mean you okay. you could have a uh and in this case I'd probably use a stimulus stimulus controller if you have something that links sort of out of order right where okay. like your new tweet is in a completely different place from where the from where the modal or the overlay is going to be. If, if okay. they can be in the same presentation container, the easiest thing is, yes, just replace that whole... Half the frame be around your re- initial uh, button, which is yep. just essentially a link, and that link follows straight to the form for the new tweet, and that will then replace where the button is. But that only kind of works if they're in the same spot. Right? Sure. which is which is another example here of of where you get to do the least amount of work when it line, lines up neatly, but then when it doesn't line up neatly, it's not that much extra work. you just have to wire a few extra things. You can still yeah, rely so- on the same you you could even go from like one to the other right? Say you had one design where the tweet button and the tweet form could appear within the same DOM elements, so you mm-hmm. start there, right? And then some designer comes in and says, like, actually, no, I want the button to be in the upper right corner. And I want my input field to be over here instead. And now they're no longer reasonably within the same frame. You couldn't replace the whole thing. Sure. You then take the step and you pay the price to do it in a slightly more uh, convoluted way, so to speak. So could you do that with like streams where
0: like somehow clicking the button for, triggers a stream? Turbo stream response from the server that says like append or like replace this sort of like empty awaiting modal container at the end of the page with this container that has a a live modal in it you know what I mean or yeah, am I thinking about you it
1: wrong? you 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 could do that i mean that's the the other thing is a bunch of these techniques are damn weird near well turn complete right like you could do everything with everything yeah yeah, but i would say if the main thing you're trying to do is like hey i do a thing and then i want a whole segment of my page replaced with this new thing i would just do a um a frame um and then you find a way to to reveal that just the same as we've done with the menus in um in hey and you maybe you add that dash of stimulus controller to just uh sure. connect those two things together and
0: so you like- might have to do like some yeah i i guess maybe i picked a complicated a more a deceptively complicated example because i guess i'm thinking in my head like that situation where with modals it's very common that you have to stick something at the very end of the body just to make sure that you're not getting trapped in some like overflow hidden container of the parent or any weird stuff like that um
1: yeah, and I mean, if the page is already designed around this, and this is the main function of it, as and it is a a new tweet, I think you can definitely do it with frames. But if it's not, and you have to do something custom, um, it's like you you go up the tree, right, and you you pay a little bit more in terms of just what complexity for it. Now you have to make a a, a turbo stream. Dedicated uh, response to it, which isn't a lot. It's like a line of code, but mm-hmm. with frames, you get away with essentially zero lines of code, right? You don't have to gotcha. touch your control at all, and 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 so forth. So you would kind of walk up that tree as you just encounter things where, like, um, could it just be simple? This is the other thing that I, I think is is a good segue into the notion of trading concessions, which is a concept that we've used since the very inception of Basecamp, where a designer will design a screen, right? And things will be in whatever order they are. The button is over here or there. And then a developer looks at that design and goes like, oh, oh man, it it kind of would be a fair bit simpler if the button was just at the top and we could just do a replace. Sure. And and the the programmer would say, do you know what? If you do it like that, I'll have it working in like five seconds. And the designer might go, oh yeah, I don't care what the button is. I that I just put it there because like it could go there. It could Seemed just like as well <laughs> go sure. in, in the middle, right? It could just as well yeah. go over there where you want it, and it's just fine. And that is a conversation you can have when the developers are in a working relationship with the designer where it's okay for them to push back. They're not just yeah. code monkeys implementing a Photoshop dump as I used to do back in the olden days. Sure. <laughs> um, but they get to push back and they get to say, do you know what? Um, one important thing, part of, of designing this app is that we get the best app. But we can trade that off at times when the cost isn't very big against other developmental concerns, right? And yeah. then sometimes you'll get the opposite answer. The designer will go, no, 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 absolutely not. The cornerstone of this whole design is that the button is up in the upper right because blah, 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 blah. And you go like, all right, fine. It's important to you. I'll do it that way. I'll make it work. It'll be slightly more work on on my end. It's fine. Cool.
0: Yeah, um that's awesome. Is there is there any other examples that you've used when talking to people about this like outside of the context of hey that uh, where you've where you've been able to sort of demonstrate like how much simpler a common UI pattern can be when implemented with um some of these tools? Like anything
1: specific? I, I think there's been some good um, examples flowing out on the web recently. And and one of them is a um, default case we use in Basecamp all the time. So in Basecamp, we have messages. They're like one mm-hmm. thing. And then below that, you have um, a form to enter a new comment. And you have the um, the list of comments on there, right? If you yeah. start at just the most basic level up, where you don't want to replace the whole page because perhaps you have something else going on. You have some counts, or you have a WebSocket connection or you have something else where you don't want to break things out and you just want to get part of the page replaced. You just wrap the entire thing, the message and the comments below in a frame. And then you have, when as soon as you submit that new comment, just the frame part gets replaced and the rest of the page stays exactly as it is. And it's a pretty common pattern that you have so sort of something, and you add something to it, and just that little level up of wrapping that in a in a turbo frame bit means mm-hmm. that that segment of the page is isolated, and it happens in its own little loop, and nothing else what's going on in the page is disturbed. You can have other open forms, or you can have other open things that aren't then closed. One of the examples I used in the um, the demo I did for the video was this idea of adding a um, new message while having the form to edit the name of the room open. Right? Yeah, yeah, Normally yeah, yeah. that would collapse and that can't work because you can't, you can't do those things. If you're replacing the whole page, you're replacing the whole page and any intermediate stuff you got going on, um, you can't do that. In Basecamp, for example, we have this um, thing at the bottom where you can control subscribers, like who's on this thread. Right? You could totally yep. imagine that that is expanded like you're you're adding or you're moving to it while um, you go like, oh, actually, let me add a comment. And unless you separate those two things out, adding a comment or, or the other thing, you could end up losing the comment if you're changing the subscribers or losing yeah. the changes to subscribers you've made while you're adding the comment. So it often comes in whenever you have these multiple segments on the page. It's a good thing to think like, do you know what? Are are there cases where it really would suck if I just replaced the whole DOM? Um yeah. And could I make it better simply by wrapping things in a in a Just turbo putting frame? up a wall around it, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Just isolating it. And you almost so have it, to change nothing about how the rest of the code works. Yeah. That's the beauty of the frame. You still just render the whole thing. The thing that's coming back from the, uh, from the server that is uh, in response to you adding a new comment also has that sus- subscriber block at the bottom, right? It's just not yeah. getting replaced because it's yeah, in its yeah, own yeah. frame. And Turbo frames knows only to pick out the frame from the response that matches the frame from the sending uh, form. I think what's like kind
0: of interesting about the example that you chose there, like the base camp comment stuff is I think a lot of people would intuitively assume that the right way to build out is using turbo streams, you know, where like someone enters a comment and saves it and then you get a turbo stream thing, come back that says append this comment to the list of comments directly above the comment box. But then like the counts would be out of sync, right? Which is kind of what you were, talking about because but if you just if you just say "Eh, fuck it let's just use a a frame for this, and not bother getting clever with trying to append just this one piece of yes, DOM, and just replace yes. the entire thing that contains the message and the comments and the comment box. The experience looks exact same to the end user because they, you're not going to notice when the DOM updates to what it already was for 99 percent of what exactly. was there. But now you get all those counts updated for free instead of thinking about okay, well now I have to emit an event up to the parent that listens to see that a comment was added and updates yeah, the oh fucking God. counts and blah blah. blah. <laughs> you and, know, like, and, and this
1: is this is where I think a lot of developers. Just fall into the trap of premature optimization where mm-hmm. they think like, oh no, no, that would be too much. I would be sending all this over the wire. You know what? It doesn't matter. Whether the response coming back is a piece of JSON that's like 5K or a piece of HTML that's like 9K, it doesn't matter. That's not the time, that's not the part that takes time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, there's there's, I mean, inserting HTML that's all coming, already coming pre-baked for the browsers incredibly quickly. The part of the HTML or the network exchange that takes time is likely to be the pings back and forth, right? Yeah. Like your, your, your lag time talking to the server, it's not whether it's 5K or 7K or 9K or 22K in, in many cases, right? Like the, sure. the kinds of connections we have today, the, the way it um, works and so on, you're just not paying that much of a excess for shipping slightly more wrapping over the wire. And that's even assuming that you are shipping more wrapping over the wire, right? HTML is a data format. yeah. And totally. I think that that's what a lot of people kind of have a mental model that it's not. And the mental model is they, that- They like, think it's like a bitmap or something right, coming exactly. over the wire. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. No, um, you can send it over. And then when the browser gets it, the browser's really good at HTML. yeah. Um and, and I think that this is why I always try to, like start with the absolute simplest don't even do frames don't even do anything do turbo drives to start just build the thing with normal forms normal everything and then you go like oh actually it's really annoying that the subscribers edit segment gets reset when I add it what's the smallest thing I could do to fix that alright yeah. let's do a frame and then maybe you go with the frame like, oh, actually this is on a discussion page where some of the discussions regularly runs into the thousands and we're rendering them all. I mean, these are all anti patterns anyway. You shouldn't be rendering sure. thousands of comments, but let's just say you were and you hit it like, oh no, actually this is too complicated. Switch it then, right? Or realize that like, actually I want these comment updates to be live. If someone else is on the discussion uh, thread, but in another browser with their own user, I want them to get it too. And in that case, you may go, oh, now I'm sending it over over the wire, so it has to be a TurboStream response. I'm going to change it to TurboStreams, right? But yeah. you should always think, like, how can we start from the absolute baseline and then progressively enhance, enhance your application one step at a time? Don't start out with, like, oh, let me use all the most expensive fireworks on like the first minute, right? No, no, yeah. no. Save that stuff. Keep your powder dry, because the thing is, you'll realize when you're building any... S- sophisticated application I shouldn't say sophisticated let's say large you're building any large application that doesn't just have five screens right if you have five screens you can optimize them to hilt. like you can do sure. whatever the fuck you want if you're building basecamp that has like 300 screens you'll realize that out of those 300 screens there's like five that need to be super high fidelity because users use them all the time and then there's like 200 where you you wouldn't even really need turbo <laughs> Drive if, if you're talking about it, right? Like they're, they're yeah. setting screens or invoices screens or something that'll be accessed once in a blue moon that has no expectations of being super duper fast, that has no impact on it, right? But um, for the five screens, it really does matter. And you roll out, and then there, there's sort of all the screens in the middle, right? Where you want to do a little bit of work because it does kind of matter. They do occasionally hit it, but not all the time. And that really reflects how we do um, native hybrid development as well. With native hybrid uh, applications, you have one additional step. You have Turbo Drive as the baseline, then you got your frames, then you got your Turbo Streams, and then you got the additional layer on top, which is full native. If you look yeah. at the Hey app for iOS and Android, you'll realize that the main inbox screen is fully native, right? It, it's fully mm-hmm. native. It uses um, a JSON API, not because Jason is faster, whatever, but because we're building a native um, screen for it. And in that case, it totally makes sense. There's nothing wrong about that. You're on the Inbox screen all the time. Now, go to an individual email, and you realize the bulk of it is just HTML. It's got yeah. some native Chrome around it. It's got some native buttons around it. But all the main rendering, that's just all server-side rendering again. I mean, if you had to re-implement all of that stuff in native... Um, that'd be even worse than trying to build your entire application in JavaScript yeah. the first time. Yeah, for
0: sure. Cool. Well, I think maybe just before we wrap up the, the last thing that I'd be interested to hear about is if there's just anything that you find just really exciting about these approaches that we haven't already touched on, um, that it may be not obvious to people that you think we'd be doing a disservice to the listeners if we didn't talk about.
1: Hmm. That's a, that's a good question. I think the um, main thing to take away from it is you got to try something that match with your mental model. Like the amount of feedback I got on the announcement of Hotwire, like eighty percent of it could be split right down the middle. One was, "This is totally stupid." Didn't we give up sending HTML over the wire like ten years ago? Why would I go back on all my React stuff? I actually really like that. Blah 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 blah. Right. Then the other half was. oh, shit, this is amazing. Um, this is exactly what I need. I, I hate doing the full client-side setup, gymnastics stuff. I wish I could just build my more of my application in the programming language I want to use, da-da-da-da-da, right? Do you know what? To some extent, like it's fine. Both of them are fine. Like If you just take half the people currently, I mean, caricature, I don't know what the actual percentage is, but if you just took half yeah. the people currently building web apps right now who are not enjoying themselves, right? And this made web application enjoyable for them again? Like, why does it also have to fix anything for the other half? Totally. I mean, no one is taking your toys away.
0: <laughs> yeah. No one
1: say saying you can't write your entire fucking thing in JavaScript if that really is what um, flips your bit. Like, you can totally do that. Um Not like how I would want to build it, um, and clearly not how tons of people prefer to build their their applications. And this is part of that diversity, right? we got to get some of that back. We had lost so much of it once we convinced everyone that like, oh, no, 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 you got to write so much of your application in client-side JavaScript. And like, that's the way to go. And anyone don't like that, they can either suck it or get out of the field.
0: <laughs> cool, man. Well, that's that's awesome. I'm really excited to give this stuff an actual uh, fair shake. I, I know that you, um, I'm good friends with Taylor who runs Laravel, and he mentioned to me that you DM'd him Uh, offering uh, to look over any sort of Laravel implementation or whatever that they start hacking on. So hopefully someone puts something together there because I think it would be cool for people outside of the Rails ecosystem to be able to to start playing with this stuff too. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you and having you on the show again, man. Thanks so much for giving me your time.
1: Absolutely. Thanks again. And yes, Hotwire is not Rails-specific in any way, shape, or form. We built some really nice Rails integrations for them, but any full-stack framework can replicate those uh, integrations. And people have already started in both Symfony and in Django to do awesome. some of this stuff. And I'd hope to see there well in any other full-stack framework that's um, sympathetic to this way of building applications to, uh, to make those integrations, make them as good as they are with Rails, and then Hotwire becomes an even broader movement of people who would like to build applications sending HTML over the wire.